right, everybody. Welcome to Grace Unfolding. This is Jonathan Buckley. I'm here with Pastor Troy Alby. This is this is week ten, I believe, Pastor Troy. From Grace Unfolding, where we're connecting uh, the realities of God's excuse me, the riches of God's grace to the realities of life. And we've had dialogue about a variety of subjects. Uh, good afternoon, good morning, good wherever, whatever you're doing. Uh, maybe once we get into this, the title of this episode is uh, What is Foolish or Who is Foolish? And uh, we're not exactly sure <laughs> where we're going, are we? What do, what do we call this? How do you, what do you, when you do this? We call this freestyle. Freestyle. Shooting we're from the hip. Shooting from the hip. And you might find yourself rapidly falling into boredom, in which case you can just switch over to your uh, ultimate 80s Spotify playlist or ho- Hall and Oates or whatever. Or the Joe Rogan experience. Or if, if John were listening to something else, he would he would be listening to the Joe Rogan experience. So Or wh- whatever you find yourself. But today we are talking about, uh, well, I think it's a continuation in one sense, John, because we were discussing for several weeks there, what does it mean to, to communicate our faith, to share it, and then at times to defend it, give answers for the hope that we have, as Scripture says. When we do that, uh, inevitably, though, uh, things come to the surface, and people look at us a certain way, or they dismiss us, or they maybe they you know are apathetic. But if they're not apathetic and they voice some concerns, or even internally they think to themselves, "I can't believe you believe blank." Um, that could be a lot of things in that blank that that deals with ethics or intellectual stuff. But really, what are they saying deep down inside, John? Uh, well, you're foolish. You're foolish. Do you like being called a fool, John? Uh, I wouldn't know. It's never happened to me. <laughs> well, I've definitely been called a fool, and uh, I probably deserved it at uh, at certain times. Um, you, you know, when we talk about fool in our kind of everyday language, I, I often think of like comedy or something of you know. There's a levity about it, right? Like it's a uh, it's it's in jest. But when the Bible uses the word fool, right. That's a different story, John. I mean, I, I think you've encountered that in, in studying Proverbs. You see, it's it's a dangerous thing to be known and identified as a fool because it, it doesn't have a, a good trajectory, right? It doesn't have it doesn't have a, a good end. I mean, the fool says in his in his heart that there is no God. That's right. Psalm fourteen one. The fool says in his heart there is no God. But notice. That even as the psalmist writes that, he doesn't say the fool in his mind or the fool in his mouth, but at his heart, the core level of our being. At times, we, we, we don't, it's not that we can't believe in a God, it says sometimes we don't want to. And we, we, we discussed that in another episode where we, we said Jesus marvels. Even when he performs great miracles, he gives empirical, in-your-face, undeniable um, proof of his, his mercy and his might and his relevancy when he heals the sick. He, he feeds thousands. He, he casts out demons, and people are, are, are made whole and, and well. And, and yet he marvels, it says, in the face of that, of their unbelief. And I don't know about your experience, but... When we say the fool says in his heart there is no God, that could you know exclude a lot of people if atheism is alive today. Do you think atheism is alive today? I mean, right. So we, I, I don't really see a lot of like self-professed atheists out there. I mean, I think we were talking about this previously. Like, I I see a lot of people acting as atheists. I even see Christians acting as atheists, as if there's no you know supreme law, as if there's no. Um, 
ultimate reality. So, but as far as like, do I encounter atheists in, you know, that who are like dead set against, uh, against God and, and, uh, you know, outspokenly, not, not really. I mean, it's, it's really, um, maybe a way to summarize it would be, it's, it's not an intellectual atheism. It's a behavioral atheism because you're, you're essentially living, as if God it doesn't care, doesn't exist, doesn't have any wisdom, doesn't have any insight uh, for me or my living. Like, it's okay for a God to be around in a theistic, simple way, but just keep your distance, God. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I, as as far as it relates to, like, apologetics, kind of what we were talking about, like, I wouldn't necessarily, this is just my opinion, but I wouldn't necessarily spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to defeat atheism, yeah. per se. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, give, a, a, you know, um, a, you know, give too much thought to that necessarily. It's not a bad thing to spend your time doing, but all I'm saying is that, is that people um, are certainly acting as atheists, even though they're not, you know, um, designating themselves as atheists. If we're talking about foolishness, John, what would you say is is the opposite of being a fool or foolish? Being wise. Yeah. And the Bible has a good definition for what wisdom is. It's different than the world's. Because the world would say wisdom, okay, is a person who has lots of experience and lots of knowledge. We would say take you could take the knowledge or, you know, keep the knowledge, take the knowledge, really um, it's it's about the fear of the Lord because Proverbs one right. says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now that would mean that that that's quoted in several places in Proverbs, and that actually could mean that a child, a young person who is simple of mind intellectually, let's say, can actually display and convey and walk in wisdom because they're yielded to God. Yeah. They're surrendered to, they, they understand that they are not the authority. They know there's someone to be sought and trusted and thanked and praised. And that that is the triune God. Even a, even a child is in kindergarten could teach us something about wisdom because he, he or she understands submission to um, that law. Yeah, I mean, I'll add something here. We were kind of talking about before this, I was talking about somebody that I know uh, pretty well that I was having a conversation with about, about um, like, envy and, and, and jealousy and stuff. And it kind of, I was kind of trying to witness to this person by, by kind of pointing out that, like, that, you know, we're all kind of like, we all kind of see other people in this world and, and things that they have or family their circumstances, their circumstances and their prosperity, their prosperity, their, 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 um, family structure, their, um, their job title, whatever. So we all, you know, it's my, so we all kind of see things and, and as Christians, we're hyper aware that like, we're not to be envious, right? We're not to be coveting, coveting other people's things. But this person I was talking to was, was an unbeliever. Um, I believe was an unbeliever. And, uh, and this person claimed to have, you know, none of that ever in their entire life. They've, that, never, they've they, never experienced they, they just, jealousy. And I, I pushed this person pretty hard. I was like, you've never, you know, they, there's not a, you know, you don't walk, you don't, you know, over the course of your day, see somebody's, you know, car or house or, or whatever and say, I, I kind of wish I had that or I wish I had, you know, my family was that way or this way. And like this person, you know, said, sure, no, I never do. So like, 
the reason I kind of bring that up is um, what I'm trying to say here is um, we have a whole bunch of people out there that are unpersuaded that they are in the wrong. Are in the wrong. or (laughs) You know, you probably kind of, when you ask somebody, like, this is a key question for for evangelism and and, and apologetics is like, you ask somebody, are you a sinner? And they say, no. How, How could you possibly go about you know, convincing that person that they are a sinner in need of a savior, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where I was and going. I think, I think it was Francis Schaeffer who years ago said that the majority of his work, he was an author, thinker, philosopher, apologist, and Francis Schaeffer who's written some great works, by the way, if you wanted to read one. Um, but he would talk about the, the task of, you know, persuasion and, and sharing the gospel is a lot of it is trying to persuade people that they are sinners in need of a savior, to your point. And I, I think to answer that, it was either Schaefer or it was, uh, maybe it was, you know, uh, Tim Keller quoting it. But Tim Keller, who, who, by the way, along these lines, has a fantastic book that was published uh, probably 15 or so years ago called The Reason for God. Um, it, it's really a, an excellent uh, resource by Tim Keller. He talks about in that book... Um, I think it's in that book or a series of talks surrounding the subject of of this, that he said, imagine a scenario, right, that you had um, a person who's their entire life, because we don't want there to be a God, right? Like, we want to be a law unto ourselves. We sometimes refer to it as the autonomy of the self, that I am the arbiter of all things true. The autonomy of the self is saying, I'm a law unto myself. I get to define what is good. I get to define what is right. I, I, I can judge for myself, and I certainly don't need an external God giving me rules. You think that's our natural state, right? Is that, is that we, we believe that we are a law unto ourselves, that we are? I do. I, I, think that I we, would agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe you don't articulate that way, but you kind of live that way because it's, it's, it's convenient and it's accommodating to whatever lifestyle you choose, which might be a whole variety of things, some that the world would praise and some that the world would frown on. But really, the only way to prosper and to have joy and satisfaction in life is to walk in God's way, in God's law. Last night, and I want to come back to the answer to your question of persuading someone that they're a sinner. But last night we had, because I want to use this as a plug, this is freestyle, so here we go. This is freestyle. I want to give a plug for Knowing God. That's a book by J.F. Packer, 50-year-old Christian classic now. And we studied it. There's about a dozen of us last night. We had a wonderful dialogue uh, about the, the beginning of the book. And if you want to pick up the book and continue to read and join our study, we're going to be meeting again on May 7th. I think it's that Sunday. So that's a great book. And I went around the room, and I asked uh, some questions of folks. And I remember Jack Notarangelo offered this. It was really good. He talked about coming to faith in Jesus later in life. And he said, and he would have said he was probably an agnostic at that time. But he said, I didn't realize who God was or what his rules were. And I stopped them there. I said, why would you want to know what the rules are? Wouldn't you see that as a burden? Wouldn't you see that as um, uh, cumbersome or, 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 or annoying you know, uh, to know what the rules are? And he had the most insightful answer. He said, yeah, I would want to know because I now understand that everyone is obeying someone's rules. <laughs> We're all living underneath someone's expectations, someone's rules. And in fact, sometimes we actually become enslaved to those desires and those rules and those, those impulses. So I'll pause there. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely, it's 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 good to hear that you know that somebody could come to such a conclusion. When most most people, I think, generally speaking, most people go their entire lives, at least most unbelievers go their entire lives, realizing not realizing that they are indeed living under uh, a set of of rules. It's just um, not. Yeah, and I think we have now. This is going to go back to the answer to your question. We know that Romans one, the Apostle Paul, inspired of God, says that the law of God is written on our hearts, but we suppress that knowledge in our unbelief, our unrighteousness. Now, does it mean that we are just, uh, everything is relative, you know, that we're just so persuaded of moral relativism? No. And people know that we're not, we don't see that a whole lot in our society. In fact, we see a lot of moral outrage. Correct. You know, we, it's not that people aren't willing to say that there is such a thing as right and wrong. It's just not defined according to our creator, the true lawgiver, and the future judge of the universe. It's like this. People walk around. So imagine this. Here's going back to my answer, which um, uh, thanks for bearing with me. Francis Schaeffer, I think it's Tim Keller quoting Francis Schaeffer, says, Imagine a a scenario under which you spent your entire life and you said, I... I, um, you had a tape recorder. I know that's a thing of the past, but uh, imagine some type of digital recorder, and it hung around your neck, an invisible tape recorder, and it would record every time you say something um, that is is discerning right and wrong, that is making a value judgment. Okay, it it turns on and it turns off. So you say something. You say, "I can't believe the way that she talked to me. I I I. It is it is unfathomable how." What's her name over there? Treats her children. I don't like the way this tastes. Someone should be held accountable for this. Who's in charge here? Someone should tell them that they're doing this wrong. We we make value judgments all the time. We say that's good, that's bad, that's wrong. Uh, you know, you you. I can't believe that they don't fill in the blank. They don't restrain their tongue. I can't believe that she said that. I. It is it is appalling to me that so and so doesn't recycle on Tuesdays. You know, you feel it, it could be a value judgment that's attached to something really petty. It's sounding like the Real Housewives of of Pembroke. Okay. Well, whatever the scenario is, you know how we walk around and we we do make value judgments, and every time, imagine it was recorded. Things that you dislike, things that bother you, and you recorded that. And then you got to the end of your life, and you're standing before the judge of the universe, the God who made you, and you say to him, I don't want to be judged according to your standards. And he says, okay, fine. I just happen to have this little tape recorder Ah. here. (laughs) And now, now I'm just going to judge you only on the basis of your standards. And then he plays it back, and he plays it back, and he plays it back. And then, of course, if we had a, a, even a, a slight modicum of humility, we would say, wow, I can't even live up to my own standards. I can't even, I'm not even consistent in what I think is right and wrong. I'm, I'm not even able to, to walk in that. I think that's maybe a way to kind of probe in on people a little bit about where they think are you able to even ask the question, are you able to to live in a way that's consistent with your own standards, even if those standards were a, a measly list of four things? Could you do it? 
All right, so why don't we come back to the idea of foolishness mm-hmm. and how our, how we, uh, in some ways, uh, are considered fools in the eyes of the world. Um, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, well, we don't. But, I mean, even if someone were, were not to name-call us, well, they, I mean, people do have names that when they disagree with someone. Um, but if they just internally, you get the vibe, the sense that they think that you are a lame brain or a fool, um, you know, w- what do we do with that? And one thing that I would say is there's a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 1 where the Apostle Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the, the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Uh, he writes here, where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And I would encourage you to go and just read that in its fuller context. But you see that we should anticipate it. We should anticipate that people will categorize what we believe, the convictions that we follow, the conclusions that we draw as foolishness. But that's okay because the message of the cross, the message of the cross is going back to your question. How do you persuade someone that they're a sinner? Well, I mean, you, you can't, ultimately. Only the Spirit of God could open their eyes to see it. But there are those times when you're often low and you realize, I can't keep my own standards. I have I've fallen. I, I'm embarrassed. I feel guilt. I feel shame that you want there to be a Savior, and you can't be that Savior. The message of the cross says you're a sinner in need of a Savior. It's not an accident that Jesus died. He did it because he knew that you needed it and I needed it. So the message of the cross is foolishness because it confronts you. It says it says to you and to me and the rest of the world, you're not sufficient in yourself. You can't even keep your own laws, let alone the law of God, which is perfect and reveals his very character. And you, you and I have not done that consistently. So... Is that answering your question in part um, about how how we're supposed to kind of relate to um, that feeling? I think part of the answer is it's to be expected, you know, that we would look or feel the part of the fool. Yeah, so the devil. That brings to mind, um, Troy, where in Scripture would you see um, the invitation to be content with the looking like a fool in the world's eyes? Yeah, good good question. one proverb that comes to mind is Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. It says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So it's, it's embedded in there the anticipation that we will be tempted to trust in our own mind. But it's saying if you don't do that and you trust in God's wisdom, then you will be delivered. It's really similar to... I know I've prayed this many times over my own children. Um, Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him that he may make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That, that, That to me gives me hope that when the world says, Troy, don't turn away from evil. You're doing what? Obey your desires. Follow your interest. Who cares? You're not an evil person. Just do your own thing. Call your own shots. Um, Live according to your own impulses and interests. What is all this talk about surrendering to God and obeying God's law? The law of God is not a burden. 
If you read Psalm 119, you think, this guy gets it. He understands that the law of God is sweet, it is life-giving, it is guiding us to wisdom, it's the tracks our heart are meant to run on. Like, that, like a, a railroad track, I say, you know, from time to time. When we discover the law of God, we realize that we're inadequate. The way that we persuade people that they're sinners is holding up a mirror. Yeah. Right? It, it, we hold up a mirror, and that mirror is the Word of God. We tell the stories of the Old and New Testament, and we begin to see ourselves in the story. We were studying in the fall, and we will again this coming fall, the life of King David. There's all kinds of illustrations in there that coincide with our desires and struggles, and you see him succeed, but you also see him fail. And then you, you that's a mirror to us, right? Like you understand, as God would have us, that maybe we're not self-sufficient. Maybe we are not a law unto ourselves, and maybe we... Not only can we not fix ourselves, not only, not only you know, can, we can't fix ourselves, um, there's something wrong with us and we can't fix ourselves, um, but that we desperately need an outside source to, you know, to come and to be that, um, that deliverance. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, all it takes is, is for somebody like me or, or anyone else to live a life um, uh, full submission to uh, the, you know, wisdom of God, the, wi- the law of God. Well, no, the opposite. So, like, to live to live a life without, um, you know, indulging in all your greatest desires and all your, you know, fleshly desires, and and it's not the utopia that it's promised to be. Is uh, what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, like, and all of us. I mean, not all of us, but most of us have spent time in our lives, kind of um, living in in obedience to ourselves, in in, in at least for periods of time. Uh, hopefully, not too much time. But but the reality is, it does that that um, that following God's law um, is not just obedience to God, but it, it is a protection from all sorts of some all sorts of evil and and um, all sorts of bondage, you know, bondage slavery. to to things that you never want to be in bondage to. So. So that's the reality. Yeah. And and that's where, that's a good segue because going back to knowing God, J.I. Packer, there was a great verse that he has there in chapter 3 in Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 9, when he says, uh, Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, uh, verse 23, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Now let me just pause there. That's all the world wants to do. Correct. The world says if if you have intellect and strength and money and power and persuasion, that's boast in it, delight in it, brag about it, talk about it, seek it, pursue it constantly. Okay, that's what he's saying. Let, but he's saying here, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. In the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So God is saying, I'm a God of justice. I'm a God of righteousness. I'm a God of love. Follow me in that, boast in that, delight in that, and you will experience real life, a real fulfillment. Um, And to the degree that we realize that we don't, part of the purpose of God's law is to show us that we are the fool, that he is wise, and we need him. 
We need a Savior. Mm. We desperately need Jesus. We need an older brother who is a covenant mediator who keeps all the terms of the law and the covenant in our stead, in our place. I, I want to just keep leading, leading people um, to Jesus. Now, when you present the law of God, um, which is an expression of his character, right? It's not random. Some people chafe. Right, they're 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 busy boasting in their wisdom, so they don't want to be confronted. But here's an example, right? If you see someone in your workplace, or maybe you're at a family gathering, and and someone just absolutely blows up, loses their cool, looks look, they're the ones that look like a fool because they just lost their temper and you know uh, flew off the handle and screamed at someone and punched a hole in the wall. Or maybe it's not even that severe. You just look, you're and they're embarrassed. Okay, they're they're not digging their heels in. They're embarrassed at, at, at what has happened. But to confront that and to say, why are you doing that and why is that wrong? I don't think people need to know that. Sometimes they understand, but the fool just keeps on going. So here's another problem. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like you know, you know what I mean. Like keeps going on. You're like, you shouldn't have exploded. You shouldn't have done that. It's a value judgment. It's it's a it's a presenting. What essentially is the law of God? Like you don't want to go this route because anger is a, is a it can be a very dangerous thing, and the way that you spoke to people was not loving to them. Yeah, that's what God would say to me as a Christian. I should do, and you shouldn't. You, you know, you shouldn't do that. Um, they're going to double down. They're going to say, "No, this is what justice is." I have every reason to be angry. I have every reason to scream and yell and and uh, and and outrage and and punch a hole in the wall. Here's Proverbs seventeen. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Jesus puts it another way. Uh, Don't cast your pearls before swine. There's times when it's just impenetrable. Uh People don't want to hear it. Uh, They don't want to be confronted with truth or, or wisdom or law. They want to continue in it. And a person of understanding says, you know what? In all humility, you know, they'll say, you know what? You're right. I don't, it's not right for me to, to be outraged and blow up. And I, I feel like I can't change. <laughs> right. I, what they're saying is, I need help. And to, as a Christian, what can we say in response to that? What's the hope? Christ. Jesus is the answer to that. Yeah. Jesus knows what it's like to be, Jesus knows what it's like to be angry, but in a good way. In a righteous. In a righteous indignation. The fool, which is all of us when we're operating in our own flesh and according to our own law, we just keep pushing it and pushing it. Um, I'm grateful that there's hope. That's why I don't despair of, uh, of uh, you know, contemplating uh, our failures. I don't need to be defensive. Uh, I don't need to be shy about seeing myself in the mirror of God's law because one of the purposes of the law um, is to restrain evil uh, in the world, but it's also to to be a tutor to, to, to teach us, um, our, to show us, expose our need of a Savior. Like, Amen. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, when the Israelites received God's law in the wilderness, they did not view it as a, uh, as a burden. It was a gift to them. They were glad when Moses came down from the mountain because they're like, now we know who this God is. We know more about his character. We know what he desires of us. Going back to Jack Nanorangelo's comment about he was glad. He was glad to know God. They were glad. The, the, the Israelites, the people of God, following Moses as their prophet, they were glad to have God's law. Here's the problem. I don't know how many weeks or, or days or chapters later, but they're, they're already breaking it. Correct. 
They are. So the hope of a Messiah just gets bigger and bolder and, and more obvious the, the longer, you know, history transpires. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and, and we're like, we're, and he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Wow. Wow. Does, does Jesus say, I'm going to throw out the law because I'm a law unto myself. Everybody here, obey your desires. Who cares about the rules? Who cares about the No, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, come, come to me. Follow, follow, follow my wisdom. And to the extent that you can't and you won't and you know you, you, you failed, I, I'm going to give you rest and refuge and redemption and forgiveness. So it's not fun being a fool, is it, John? No. In the world's eyes. Correct. What makes what makes us shy, and what will make us bold? God. Okay. So what's what's an action point? Even coming out of this for you and for me, as we think about why is it that we're shy, and what will make us uh, what will make us bold in the face of people who would call us a fool? Being equipped with with the Word of God and with the truth. Yeah. For me, it's prayer. And that's something God's been teaching me a lot about is that prayerful dependence. Um, I used to go. I used to go to uh, at times. I, I I would go to the Lord in prayer out of kind of a perfunctory, you know, kind of a, a regiment of habit. Still do on certain days and times. But now I'm coming into the. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know about you, but sometimes I run into the end of me. And when it comes to conversing with people that I want to introduce to Jesus, and when it comes to grappling with all these things that we've talked about, I see how much I need to cry out to God for wisdom and for help, for compassion for my friends, for humility to not be defensive. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, God gives us prayer as a, as a means to, um, to draw closer to him and accomplish his will and and on this on this earth i hope this has been helpful for folks hey john why don't you tell people as a wrap up what are we planning to do uh for our next episode all right so um we're going to take a pause from this type of uh uh, episode and we're next next time around we're going to have a uh an interview or a um a guest actually would be the better way to say it from uh, our church and we're not going to um, say particularly who quite yet, but we have a very special guest coming on, and um, so you guys will have you. We will we'll have that coming up um, next week, and um, definitely if you have topics. If you have ideas, uh, write us info at graceoutshore.org. Love to have you. Yes, and if you want to become a guest, certainly let us know, and we will um, we will arrange that. So thank you. This has been great. Uh, thank you for listening to Grace Unfolding. This is Jonathan Buckley here with Pastor Troy Alby, and we will see you next time. Thanks, folks.